thank you so much for joining us. Today I'll be chatting to another amazing mental health advocate, Caitlin, including discussions on her mental health journey, how she found advocacy, and where she is at with her current eating disorder journey. So hello, Caitlin, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great too. Thank you so much for coming today. Now, Caitlin, could you please tell me a bit about yourself and your life story? And I'm especially interested in learning how you eventually found mental health advocacy and how you became a speaker for eating disorder awareness. Of course. Um, it's a bit of a long one, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. So um, I grew up a fat kid. So I was bullied and teased and stuff, but going into high school, it got a bit worse. Now with a lot of eating disorders, it's about control, right? Well, in my experience anyways. So it was for me, it was controlling what was making my life miserable, right? So it was me being like, okay, I can't control the people who are bullying me, but I can control what they're bullying me about, right? So I developed my eating disorder probably in about grade, I would have to say the summer going into grade 12. I wasn't diagnosed actually until about two years ago retroactively just because unfortunately there is discrimination against fat bodies when it comes to um, eating disorder care. They're just looked at as people losing weight and it's good, et cetera, et cetera. The amount of compliments I got after I lost half my body weight in like six months was unbelievable. So the worst of it was probably the summer of going into grade 12 and grade 12 and then um, my first couple years of college. And then it kind of, it's very hard to explain, it kind of just shifted itself in my life to fit my life more and to kind of make it easier for me to live with it, if that makes any sense. And then so during COVID, like all of us, I just had like eight epiphanies <laughs> back to back <laughs> and I might have talked to Body Brave and then I started seeing a psychologist and she diagnosed me with um, anorexia and partial remission because there were still some mm. some things hanging around. Um, mm -hmm. I actually went into full remission about maybe about a year ago, six months ago. Yes, thank you. It's wonderful. And um, as well as being treated for an eating disorder, I was being treated for an anxiety disorder as well. And once my anxiety was taken care of through meds and therapy, I was able to grieve my eating disorder, which was like kind of for me, like the last step of being able to go into full remission. It was a very weird step for me. Uh, it was very emotional. It was very hard, but it's what I needed to do in order to be where I am now. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And so was Body Brave what introduced you to advocacy or was there a different line of work that did? I don't know. I had trouble with advocacy because I was never diagnosed, right? Mm. So I've been speaking about it, posting about it and talking about it to friends and family for many years, but mm. I felt like an imposter. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt that because I didn't have a diagnosis, which is a privilege, by the way, having a diagnosis from someone, it, it can be very expensive. So I, um, I consider myself very privileged to have been able to receive one. But the imposter syndrome shouldn't have been there in the first place because you don't need a diagnosis um, in order to advocate for something that you know you've been through, right? So after my diagnosis, I was just went kind of full force into it. And yeah, Body Brave really helped me. I did their sessions with them and I think it was the start of my both feet into it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I think I know what you mean about how the diagnosis sort of like validates the symptoms, even though that's like so untrue, like the 
the symptoms within their self, if they're interfering with someone's life, that in itself is enough. But we could do a whole podcast on why diagnoses are. We definitely could. I could talk about it forever. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm really excited. I, I will definitely come back to body rave as well later on in our conversation. And so if we can go back to the very beginning then, mm-hmm. in your childhood, can you please just generally tell me a bit about what that was like? It was it was good. I generally had a good childhood other than like being called fat a few times, <laughs> like not a few times. It was more like it was worse in high school. Right. But like it's sad that I had to become aware of my body at such a young age. The first memory I have is wearing like a two piece bathing suit to go swimming with friends at like a neighbor's house. Some random kid called me fat and I was upset. Like as a fat person now, if someone called me fat. I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> what about <Yeah>. it? <laughs> right. Like you're just using a description to describe my body. I'm not mad about it. But as a seven-year-old, you're taught that like fat is bad mm-hmm. when fat is just neutral. There's nothing wrong with it. So yeah, the bullying before high school was sporadic. It wasn't as bad as it was in high school. So I'd say my childhood was, you know, on a scale of one to 10, like a seven. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Like you said, like that's a very young age, age seven. And we're not born with these ideas that fat is bad. A toddler doesn't look at their arms and think that there's something wrong with them. But like you said, we're absolutely taught or through other people's reactions, we're taught fatness, weight has some sort of moral value, whereas really it doesn't like you mentioned yeah yeah and so you mentioned you became more aware of your body around that time was it a negative perception of your body from the get-go was it more of a neutral awareness of it I guess I just became more aware of it that I was different than my thin friends and Mm -hmm. like the fact that I'm calling seven-year-olds thin is silly Mm -hmm. to begin with but because it was put into my mind that I was fat but my doctor, I think, told my parents when I was about 10 that I needed to lose weight. It might have been between 10 and 12, which I'm not a doctor, obviously, but <laughs> telling a child they need to lose weight, I think, is very harmful. But I could also talk about that forever. And then I was put on Weight Watchers when I was like 12. Mm. Yeah, which was no fault of my parents, obviously. They were just trying to do what the doctor thought was best, yeah. right? Um, and that is not fun for a 12-year-old. <laughs> right it's not it's not a lot of fun at all so yeah 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 the fact that there's a weight watchers for kids I mean I had... oh I just went with the adults like this was not like a separate mm. thing oh yeah it was it was very intense I just went to like the regular weight watchers yeah wow oh my yeah. gosh D- do you feel comfortable sharing a bit about what that was like like at the time I didn't really think think about it I guess it was because it was right because it was so ingrained in me that what I was that what my body was was bad that I thought Mm -hmm. I was doing the right thing right so to me I was doing something good even if it didn't feel good even if not eating when I was hungry didn't feel good I was doing the right thing because I was not meant to be the way that I was it's like this sugar-coated hellscape (laughs) I hope I can say hellscape but like it's like you walk into this this like giant room and it's just one big room, right? And like you sign in and then you, I'm pretty sure you weigh yourself if you're the first time there. It's been a very long time um, mm-hmm. um, since I've been and they've tried to rebrand themselves like 800 times, but underneath they're still the exact same program, right? It might be monthly, but I think you can choose to go weekly. And then kind of like behind where you check in, there's a whole bunch of seats and everyone sits down and they talk about like how they stay motivated. And it's just... Like on the outside, everyone looks so happy, but you can tell everyone is just miserable. Yeah. Right? Because like they're going against what their bodies 
do naturally, which is be hungry and eating when they want to eat. It just, yeah, wasn't very fun. I'm so sorry. Hopefully it was okay that I asked that. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Now, speaking, you know, people around us. So were there any other comments from people around your actions, say, that influenced how you saw yourself emotionally and physically? I remember the people, exact names, who made comments about me, and they probably don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I don't really give them headspace anymore, but I used to be so mad, so mad at them, like, all the time. And, like, I've gotten past it. I've worked through it in therapy and all that stuff. But, like, it makes you kind of just, like, go out of your body. You want to say something. You want to stand up for yourself. But it's just you're stuck in this moment where everyone's looking at you. And, like, none of your mm-hmm. friends, by no fault of their own, none of your friends stand up for you because it's like this really awkward, like, oh my God, did, did they just say that? The one I remember the most, we were sitting at like a cafeteria table and I asked someone to like pass me a napkin or something just so blase. And the person turned to me and he's like, here you go fatty. And then he said, oh, sorry, Caitlin. Everyone heard this person say that they all looked at this person and no one said anything. And I just said, thank you. Right. And it's like, why? Like, why did you have to do that? Now it'd be like, thanks, because I know I'm fat. Right. It's not like it's not a it's not a secret. And it's just like, but like back then I had no self-esteem. There's no such thing as body neutrality or body positivity. And like I would spend hours on the Internet just looking for plus size models just all the time. And like just like looking for someone who looked like me so I could feel better about, like about myself. Right. So. Yeah. So like, it just kind of like takes you out of your, like, you kind of like experience like an out of body kind of feeling. And you're just kind of like, where is everyone? Why is everyone, (laughs) why is everyone here not saying anything? And why is it left to me to be the person to, I don't know, tell the person to go away. But in the moment I was very hurt and I still remember that moment. So yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a violation on the self as well. Cause like you don't, walk out the door thinking that oh my appearance is going to be commented on today and I think it's a lot easier for people to think it's okay for women Mm -hmm. yeah but I definitely love to circle back to like how we can maybe support our future generations to be a bit more empathetic as well and like a bit more aware of how these things uh, could be hurtful oh yeah definitely and so now going more to the phase where you had your eating disorder what was going through your mind uh, when you were having these experiences? One of the words I use to describe the early phases of my eating disorder is elation. And I know that sounds a mm. lot, that sounds very strange to people who have never had an eating disorder before, yeah. but it's, it started off as I started like walking around the block or something. I don't even know what motivated me to do this. I have no idea. It yeah. might've been prom actually. I might've been like, oh, I'm going to look good for prom or something like that. Um, Or, well, obviously, like, as I said earlier, it was me trying to control what had been happening to me throughout the three years of high school previously, right? Like, I just hadn't consciously, obviously, gone through that kind of, that at this moment. But, Mm -hmm, um, so on the service level, I was like, I'm going to look good for prom. And so I started walking, and I started running, and it very quickly became an addiction, which an eating disorder is, in my opinion. Like, I could talk forever about, like just being hungry and becoming addicted to the feeling of being hungry and knowing that I was better than everyone else for ignoring my hunger cues and like, (laughs) right. And it's just one of those things. It's like, I can still feel how happy I was like, and just like the absolute like euphoria that just like filled my body when I just wouldn't eat. And like, I was so proud of myself for not doing that. And it's a very hard feeling to explain to people who have never experienced it because like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, well, it made sense to me at the time. 
right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why eating disorders are one of those very pesky disorders, at least to me, makes sense, not only because of my lived experience, but also, um, I don't know if you like neuroscience, but um, the, the anorexic brain ends up finding a lack of food more rewarding than actual food. Oh, 100%. I like. that yeah that's 100%. And I've never heard that but it makes complete sense because yeah. I would like the things I did to avoid eating like I would come home from school and take a gravel so I could sleep and not be nauseous so I didn't snack. Um it, not to put words into your mouth but it's sort of like we're listening to it mm-hmm. to Ed to Ed yeah yeah yeah. Um so we're doing it right so if we have like you said if my thing was like if I could like I can't do it anymore, but like putting your, your, right? Yes. <laughs> your hands around your arm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So if you could like do that or some other um, silly thing, then yeah, you get rewarded in some way. And it's, it's easy for us or other people to call it silly, but it is. I was just going to say that it's not yeah. silly. No. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because like I was talking to my therapist about all these things I used to do and she's like, those aren't weird, Caitlin. Those aren't silly. They're part of like an addiction you had it's not something you that people shouldn't call them silly because they weren't they were something they were not really coping mechanisms they were part of a mental health issue that you were having and it's like yeah that's very true yeah absolutely i used to do um the wrist thing too by the way um i can't do it anymore it's it's these can all be signs you know not only that folks themselves can look out for but also parents educators Mm -hmm. all those people it's tough though because it's done in secrecy Mm -hmm. a lot of times but so all these again challenges that you were facing but what were some of the strategies that you used to overcome these challenges oh man that's a good one um i'm mostly thinking in the most recent years, right? Like th- mm-hmm. three, like the last three-ish years. Strategies, I'm just trying to think. I had this mantra in my head. Um, NEDIC, the National Eating Disorder Information Center, yeah, posted it on their Instagram. It was like, um, my body is for living in, not for looking at, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So one of my symptoms that hung around was body checking. Um, mm-hmm. So I find that mantras like that work for me a lot just because... Mm-hmm. And if I ground myself, if I take like five deep breaths and like I notice myself going to look in the mirror, I say that over and over again to myself until I'm okay, right? And I still find myself going to do it because even though I'm in full remission, things like this are going to stick around. And it's hard, I think, for people who have eating disorders because you're talking about earlier the lack of food and like the reward we feel when we have a lack of food. And my reward and my my elation was tied to me feeling hungry and like I still feel hungry because I because I'm still hungry so disconnecting those two feelings was also very hard for me but again I would just kind of like um think about what my body needed in that moment in terms of food um um, intuitive eating has been really helpful for me as well right it's because people are afraid when you intuitive eat you're just gonna eat junk all the time which sorry junk there is no morals attached to food sorry um so people think oh, that sorry. that was fine. <laughs> so people think that they're just going to eat junk in quotation marks, and like, sure, because you've been in diet culture for so long, and possibly an eating disorder like I was, when you start intuitive eating, you may find yourself what society calls like just like going overboard or eating too much junk. But 
Um, I was so excited when I started intuitive eating just because like I was finally allowing myself to listen to my hunger cues that had been shoved down for so long since I was like 10. I haven't been listening to my body since I was 10 years old. That is wild to think about. Um, I'm still working on it and it's still something I think you have to work on it like every day. It's not something that comes naturally because you have to fight all these mm-hmm. social media and the the images you're shown every day and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I know we said we'll come back to it later, but why not now? Um, <laughs> would you feel comfortable sharing a bit about the, the grievance process? Because I feel like there's so many things that you're grieving as well. But what were the steps that were involved with that? Again, feel free to share as much or as little as you'd like. The grieving process is kind of like the grieving process when you lose someone you love. And I know that sounds so weird. People are going to be like, what is she talking about? Mm-mm. But it's, so I don't know the stages of grief off the top of my head. I don't know them. I think there's five of them. One of them's like denial, bargaining, et cetera, et cetera. I remember being in a session, a group session. I remember, so I was the only fat person in the session. And I don't know what we were talking about, but I was just so mad at everyone in the session. Like I didn't get mad at them openly, but I was so mad. I was angry because they didn't get it. Quotation marks. They didn't understand what it was like to have an eating disorder in a fat body. And I don't even remember the context. I don't remember what was said, but that was the first moment I realized, oh no, what is happening? Why am I so angry? So that's when I started talking to my therapist about grieving it. And it's just, you grieve the body you had because society tells you that that's the better body. So for me, that was the biggest step because it's easier to find clothes when you're thinner. It's easier to, people were legitimately nicer to me when I was thinner. As soon as I started losing weight, people would smile at me more, hold the door for me. They were just, people don't understand. The way people treat you, whether it's consciously or not, or like subconsciously is ridiculous. So I was grieving that. I was grieving the fact that society was going to treat me differently because I was living in a fat body again, right? I was grieving uh, the elation I felt. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I I haven't felt that elation ever again, right? And I see you shaking your head and you agree with me, right? Yeah. It's a a weird Mm -hmm. feeling. It's like an addiction, like you said. It is. And like you're, and that's just like addiction. You're always chasing that first high, right? You're always, you're always chasing that first feeling you get when you ignore that hunger cue and you're hungry and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to eat today. And you just ignore it and you feel like you're on top of the world. And I've had really, really great moments in my life since I've, since, since those first moments. And I have not felt like that since. So I was grieving that. I was grieving the fact that I was never going to be that happy in quotes, because this is a podcast (laughs) again, right? Like I was never going to be there again. I was leaving something behind that had not treated me well at all, obviously, but had been like an armor for me of some sort. It had allowed me to control what other people were doing around me. And like, it allowed me to control something and it it made the bullying go away, to be honest, right? So I guess you could say I kind of loved it. It's hard to lose something you love, even if it's in a weird, twisted addiction kind of (laughs) way. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah like, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so I hope that made sense to people because it's it made sense to me good it, like, absolutely good. it's yeah it's it's elation but it's also numbingness mm-hmm. like it it numbs you it does well. I don't, yeah I yeah. see yeah I, I I feel you it was sort of like oh I'm I'm no longer different or I'm different now but in a good way and there's this whole idea of like eating disorders as a form of idealism 
if you read like old literature you'll see nuns used to have it I swear like they used to like go into full prayer mode and like get that sense of elation like you said that sense of spirituality from not eating and you're like oh my god these nuns have a problem oh my goodness I (laughs) never even like I know that they did that but I never even thought about that though yeah yeah so it, it made perfect sense I promise so you, you mentioned you then went through that grievance process and I'm wondering, was that something that you went through mostly on your own or did you have supports in overcoming these challenges? Once I got over the whole anger thing, which was a step in the process, I was able to talk to my therapist about it. So she was honestly the biggest help to me. And I just, I did have a support system in place, but I guess I chose not to really go into the nitty gritty with them just because I knew my mm-hmm. therapist would understand it, right? And like, again, mm-hmm. that sucks because therapy is not accessible at all. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about the people who are currently, I cannot imagine. Grieving my eating disorder was one of the most emotional things I've ever had to do right and like it was so hard and it was so weird it was the weirdest it was one of the weirdest things and strangest things and hardest things I've ever done and I cannot imagine doing that by myself so like this is why I advocate access to like healthcare, mental health care and like eating disorder resources just because going through this by yourself would be a nightmare and it was a nightmare right like going through it by myself at the beginning was awful so I know what it feels like I I wonder if this is the case but was it the case that discussing it with someone, like you said, who's more removed, who's more objective, quote unquote, was just easier than like someone like a parent? Having someone who wasn't there during my eating disorder was very important to me. Um, I didn't want to talk to my parents about it because if I mentioned all this, they would feel like it was their fault and we shouldn't have signed you up for Weight Watchers. It's like, but it's not your fault. You're only doing what you thought was best. Like, I'm not blaming you. So I didn't want them to feel like it was their fault. I didn't want to burden them, even though it wouldn't have been a burden. And with my partner, I didn't want, we've been together for 10 years. So like in that 10 years, I've changed a lot. I've grown a lot. And so they were there when I was still in my eating disorder. It, um, it had just changed, right? So, and I didn't want them to blame themselves. And it's just... I don't know. It was just, yeah, I needed someone who was not there during it so they could tell me from a neutral uh, perspective what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if that makes sense, yeah. Absolutely. Like the idea of solitude as well in that recovery process. Absolutely. And now going back to a bit more about you uh, as a person, and I love that we have an audience member now. Oh, yes. Uh, This is my dog, Bucky. (laughs) Hi, Bucky. He's in love with you. He's just like looking at you. He's obsessed with me. That's an understatement. (laughs) Okay. Now, so a bit more about you. Mm -hmm. Was there a particularly difficult moment in your life that you think you handled well? Again, it can be related to your eating disorder journey or any other thing that you might like to discuss. Yeah, honestly, I think I do have to go back to the whole grieving Mm -hmm. process because it was very emotional. It was very hard. I, I think I handled it quite well what do you think about it showed that you handled it well well I came through the other side okay so I think I think that's the main thing and like uh the fact that we're living in late stage capitalism and patriarchy and all that stuff and we're expected to deal with all of our shit yes can I swear oh fuck yeah awesome the fact that (laughs) we are told to deal with all of our shit while we work nine to five and we have two days off to deal with all of this garbage that we're currently Mm -hmm. going through and the fact that like the world is on fucking fire 
I think if you are, if you're doing okay, you're doing okay. And even if you're not doing okay, you're doing okay. Because most of us aren't doing okay, right? I think I'm proud of myself for just living on this planet right now. I'm proud of you. Thank you. As well. Thank you. I want all of what you said on a t-shirt, please. Yes, I will put it on Redbubble and we can wear it. <laughs> Amazing. Cannot wait. It's, um, you know, you're a writer. I was wondering, have you written publicly or privately about your recovery story? Yes, I have a blog post posted on the National Eating Disorder Information Center blog. It's called How to Disappear Then Reappear. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how did you feel when you were first writing that? What were the things that came to mind? Um, it was cathartic. Um, I'm looking at the poem right now because I found it. This was a hard one to do because it was in the middle of my grieving process. Reading it back now, I, I'm just like, wow, I was in a very dark place. But writing the blog post for Nedic was um, a good experience um, because as you can tell by the title, I have reappeared, right? I have... Um, I have come back to myself and I have I have finally found who I was meant to be before I was stopped dead in my tracks. And then awareness of the fat body was, in my opinion, was, I don't write a lot of essays. I write more poetry, but I think it's very good. <laughs> so I it's, to read it. yeah, it's very, I can totally send it to you. It's very advocacy, right? So it's up yeah. the alley of what we're talking about. So yeah, it's writing is, it's just, there was many different stages to all the pieces I just spoke about. So yeah. Yeah. And what do you hope that the effect was on the audience? Unless you've, you've gotten feedback from any audiences. I just like, I just want people to understand, right? I just want to mm -hmm. educate people on the, on the, so many different emotions that encompass having an eating disorder and recovering from eating disorder. It's like, as you said earlier, it's so much more than food. I had a friend once, New Year's Eve. Well, she's not really a friend anymore. Mm. It was New Year's Eve. We were all just hanging out and she, and I told her, and at this point I hadn't been diagnosed. We were talking and we had gone to high school together. And I told her, I was like, yeah, like I had an eating disorder in high school. And she's like, she looks me dead in the eye and she's like, you know, there are kids starving, right? And I said, what? And like, at the yeah. time I was just like, at the time I was just like, oh, okay. And, but now I'm like, pardon that's like, we're not talking about that right now. Like yeah. we aren't like, yes, there are children starving and I do my best to give to food drives when I can and help where I can, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about an eating disorder, which it's not about food, right? Like it's not about food. It's just, there's this whole misconception that it is. And there's a lot of misconceptions about eating disorder. Like there's a whole bunch of, like people hear the word anorexia and they automatically think of a white emaciated person, probably a woman, in a hospital bed, right? When a eating disorder can be any gender, any race, mm -hmm. any age, any size. So I just like, through my writing, I want people to understand that it can happen to anybody. Thank you. Speaking of those misconceptions, though, are there, are there any others that you would want to highlight for us that you think folks should know about? Well, I think my biggest one is fat advocacy, fat body adv advocacy within the eating disorder community. There should be no dieting involved in eating disorder recovery. There should be none. The bottom line is fat people get eating disorders, happens all the time. And when we do, people generally don't give a shit. People generally don't give a shit to begin with, but people give even less shit <laughs> when fat people get them. Because if you're, you're, you're only a good fatty if you're losing weight, right? So there's different kinds of like, 
fat categories that I've seen online. And the good fatty is the one who is always working out, trying to like be healthier and no fat person owes anybody their health. It like, it doesn't matter if someone's healthy or not. They still deserve to be treated with respect. Right. Anyways. Oh my gosh. I could talk about this forever. Um, um, I love to hear that. Yeah. It's just, so yeah, it's just, that's my, that's probably the one thing I focus on when I talk to people about mood disorders is that mm-hmm. anyone can get it. Fat people are treated like shit already, but they're treated like shit even more within the eating disorder treatment community. People didn't care that I was losing weight and that I was losing my hair. I didn't get a period for like mm-hmm. six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I Very few people cared. It became alarming at certain points. And I have like three people in my life who I still talk to who became alarmed and I lashed out at them obviously because eating disorders. Yeah. People were just like, Oh my gosh, I love your collarbones. I was like, what? <laughs> Looking back on that now, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And you can, you can imagine how fueling that comment was, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. How the, how absolutely. And I keep going back to this word, but how absolutely elated I was when that person told me they loved my collarbones because there's nothing I loved more than my collarbones. And I know it's going to sound so weird, and it's just no one, no one was like, oh, she's just a good fatty losing weight. That's it. And like my doctor was like, I went back into him. I'd gained like 40 pounds back. He's like, I think you should lose 40 pounds. And I walked out of the office crying. My mother, <laughs> my mother looked at, took one look at me. She's like, wait here. She marched up to him. She got like an inch, like an inch from his face. And she's like, she was starving herself. How dare you tell her to lose weight? You apologize to her right now. And he uh, called me, yeah, he called me back in his office and he's like, I'm sorry. And he hasn't, and yeah, and that was that. His soul must have left oh, his body. Oh, his soul left his body. My, I've never seen her so angry before. That was God like, bless her mom. She was, did, yeah, every right to be. Oh, oh absolutely. Goodness. And like, I wasn't going to say anything to him because I was what? How old was I then? 19, right? Like, I wasn't going to say anything to him. The thing is, is I was like, that was like the weird adaption phase that my eating disorder was going mm-hmm. into when I was moving off to college. So, of course... Of course, that festered, right? And it was like, oh, he told me to lose five pounds. So like, then I started like routine eating again. And then I started working out all the time. And so bottom line, fat people get eating disorders. Everyone gets eating disorders. But my, my, the advocacy, the advocacy closest to my heart is fat bodies and eating disorders. I think that ties back so nicely to the idea of what you were saying earlier about how like you're only valid as a human being if you're losing weight, mm-hmm. if you're listening to that, that Ed's voice. Yeah but then everything else is invalidated. Um, What are some steps that you've taken to protect yourself from these triggers? And what do you think are some steps that everyone can take generally? Again, I know that everyone's experience is different, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I follow a lot of fat people on Instagram. That was something I recently did within the last three years. Fat joy is very important. I don't know if you've ever seen like what I eat in a day videos. Have you ever seen those on TikTok? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's thin people, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But like you never see a fat person doing it because you know what that's, you know, what's going to happen in the comments, right? People are going to call, oh, you shouldn't be eating your fat, blah, blah. So like I made a a goal of mine to follow more fat people on Instagram. If I saw them loving their body and me saying, oh, they look so wonderful. Oh my gosh. And like, I have the same body type. I would say the same thing to my body when I saw Mm -hmm. it next because we have Mm -hmm. we are our own worst critics right so even though you see someone who looks the same as you and think oh they look great they're 
so joyful. And then you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm so, I'm so upset. I'm just like, I'm so fat, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. so I made it a goal of mine. So if I said that to the screen of my phone, <laughs> to a fat person I was following, I would say the same thing to myself. Following fat people from every walk of life is also important because each each fat person, there's, I could go on about this forever, but each fat person, obviously, like a black fat person is going to experience life differently than a white fat person. A trans fat person is going to experience life differently than a cis fat person, right? So it's very important, I think, to surround yourself with different perspectives within the community mm-hmm. you are advocating for because you have to mm-hmm. listen to everyone's voice, right? So... And now circling back, as promised, to conversations among youth and children, uh, what are your hopes for eating disorder prevention and education programs in schools and society overall? That's a hard one because I think diet culture and eating disorders, even though like eating disorders aren't all about image and food, they do go hand in hand, right? They are very, they're very, they're very entangled. And in my opinion, as much as I want diet culture to go away, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's gotten better. But unfortunately, it's so ingrained in our society that there's no way within the next 15 years, but it's going to be, I think, persistent for a while. I saw on Instagram, like a dietitian, I think she's an eating disorder positive one, talking about how some schools send no sweets or treats in your child's lunch. I was like, why? What? That doesn't make any sense. That's creating a morality around food, which children, again, aren't born with. You're not born with thinking chocolate is bad for you. Right. So I think it's very important to teach children neutrality with food and intuitive eating. We're born eating intuitively. We are born eating when we're hungry, like allowing children to navigate their own hunger cues instead of teaching them bad food and not allowing them certain things. It's just, again, parenting is hard. I can only imagine. And and like, I don't have kids, but and oh, I have an opinion about something. I'm so sorry. (laughs) In, in my in my high school we did something called the beep test are i don't know if you ever did that the running back and forth yes thing. yeah number one how ableist is that number two how fat phobic is that why are we gym okay i love moving my body but for fat people in a gym class gym is absolute hell i can i can tell you that right now for anyone gym i don't i, I didn't like gym obviously this might be an unpopular take <laughs> A gym should be optional, in my opinion. I had to take it out through all at high school because it's like health, right? I still don't like working out in front of people. If I'm going to work out, I don't like moving my body in front, of, in front of other people. And that's why that dance class was so important. Um, yeah, I think, or, or at least give someone a safe space, maybe monitor bullying more because a lot of bullying happens in gym class changing rooms. You have to have a conversation with, with kids about like accepting everyone. Moving your body finding a way to move your body joyfully is absolutely necessary but being bullied in a high school where there's no teachers present because you're in a changing room that is traumatic as all hell isn't necessary and then because you're fat you change behind a changing curtain and then everyone knows you're changing behind that changing curtain because you're fat like it's just gym is a punishment for a lot of kids and that's why you find a lot of people aren't connected to their bodies because they find moving them absolutely atrocious because of what they experience in gym class Mm-hmm. breeding ground for bullying absolutely absolutely so shifting gears to the parents uh, oh. now mm-hmm. what would you say to the parents of children who might have those eating disorders what would you uh, although again every person's experience is different what would you say to them to give them hope well I'm gonna say so from my experience 
a lot of intergenerational trauma is passed down, especially from like my grandmother who isn't um, here anymore, but her generation was so fixated on waistlines, food, not eating and things. So she passes that down to my mother who passes it down to me, not on purpose. Again, this is not her fault. So with me, it stops. So having a conversation with the parent being like, listen, this stops here. It was not your fault. There we go. Because from my experience, if people think that something is their fault, they get defensive. And that's not a bad thing. We, we naturally get defensive if we think something is our fault. So again, from my experience, prefacing that saying it wasn't your fault, but this, like, this stops with me. I'm not, uh, we're going to teach, teach kids that fat isn't a bad word. Bodies look different. Um, don't limit, like, don't treat food as, don't treat certain foods as bad as 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 bad or good. Don't talk about your diets around your fucking children. Part of my, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. You understand? Because like, I see you shaking your head. Oh, yeah. If you're on a diet, that's your business. I don't, I don't care. One, I don't want to hear about it. Two, your kids don't want to hear about it. They may not tell you, but you're putting so much into the, you are inevitably saying that your body, that your body is bad and your children get your genes that's how it works. So they're going to, maybe they're going to have the same body type as you. So they're going to grow up thinking that their body is bad. Again, not the parent's fault because diet culture, but don't talk about your diets around your kids, please. That's it. Thank you. You're welcome. More people need to hear this. Yes, they do. (laughs) And so I'm going to share some phrases with you uh, to unfortunately very sadly wrap up our conversation and please feel free to finish off the sentence in any way that you'd like so here they are if i've learned one thing in life that is that joy is possible no matter what you've been through that's wonderful thank you Mm -hmm. the hardest thing about eating disorders is the isolation something i would say to the younger version of myself is you're going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> no. Again, as much or as little as you can. This is going to be very cliche, but it's okay. You'll be fine. You'll find yourself again. That's it. Yeah. You'll reappear. You'll re- Exactly. You'll reappear. You may flicker in and out and disappear, but you'll come back. It'll be hard, but you'll get there. Thank you so much. That's been wonderful. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah.